Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple. Adam's in Mexico on vacation doing the Catch and Shoot podcast this week. That's how I guess that's how much he gets paid to do this that he said, "Yo, no no matter what, I am there's no way I'm giving up a week's pay of this podcast to do this." So are you at, uh, I'm not going to ask you exactly where you are, and I don't mm-hmm. want folks to know because then they'll, you know, the paparazzi will mob you, fans will mob you. <laughs> are, you at, are you at one of those all-inclusives in, all where, like, you're guaranteed to put on 8 to 10 pounds this week? Uh, yeah, and it's already happened. It's already happened. I'm in, I'm in uh, Cabo right now. If, uh, oh. I, I, yes, yes. So, Senior, uh, at Senior Frogs? Not Senior Frogs yet. You know, I get the kids got the family here got my parents I mean, <laughs> this is a full-on family vacation but i will tell you something this place is beautiful if you haven't been noah i have not i have so, not but, you, I, but it, you're, you're eating up a mess i'm eating up a mess but i did catch the uh, national championship game which we're gonna have to talk about for a little bit um we will certainly found do a that. way to talk talk that yeah i mean they don't get cbs down here regularly so it's not in the room you have to go somewhere did um, you watch it in univision you know, no uh, no audio. So I think it was uh. a satellite setup. There's a sports bar at the resort that I'm staying at. And, um, you know, no, I'll just say this. It, 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 it really had an American feel to it because, first of all, it was all Americans that were in there. But secondly, and every TV had on the national championship, but people were showing up in one of the things that annoys me, like their school's T-shirts. Like I saw Michigan no, and so Washington. Dumb. Like why? Because so you're at a sports so, bar, so watching dumb. a college basketball game that doesn't so involve dumb. those teams. The only the only thing dumber is tweets last night during when a game is great with "I love sports." Come on, it's, it's just so dumb. <laughs> it's so dumb. Yeah, right. And like these people, you know, they packed other shirts on vacation. Oh. I would hope so. It's it's bad either way, right? If all they had was was Michigan shirts. It's still bad, so right, you want you want to talk you want to talk about bad. Wait till we go off the rails. I've got I've got a lunatic story for you about a, a lunatic in our building who yelled at my four year old daughter. I'll give you that Ooh. one later on. But remember to check out buckets, boards, and blocks with Monica McNutt. That starts next week, April eleventh. On Mondays, it's the Mike Wise Show here on Pure Hoops Media, and then the Pure Hoops Show on Fridays with. B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman. We're going to talk to jazz radio play-by-play guy in his 10th season, David Locke, in a moment. But first, time to hit the spread. 
All right, with the spread today, Adam, we're going to go with an appetizer, then main course appetizer. Last night's national championship game, you've been scouting players, I always say it, since pre-bar mitzvah. What stood out last night? Uh, the biggest thing for me is Ty Jerome's decision-making. People are going to see him in the NBA. I don't know if he'll be a first-round pick, but he's going to be close to it. I love the kid. He's 6'5". Really could shoot it. But his decision-making, and Noah down three, um, 12 seconds to play in the game. He drives the hoop. Texas Tech gives him an open lane to the bucket, and he finds an open DeAndre Hunter in the corner for three. I just – I love Ty Jerome's decision-making. Eight assists, one turnover last night. I think it made all the difference in the game. Plus, we saw DeAndre Hunter do what, what he does best. Really came in strong in the second half. Jarrett Culver's a future lottery pick. His spin move and lefty finish that looked like it put the game away also stood out. Um, I just I, – I, I'll tell you, it was, it, it was great to see two teams to play really hard on defense – um, talented kids step up in the moment. There was a lot of talk about how that game was, you know, the under was like 117 or 118 or something mm-hmm. like that. And, uh, and just the execution, I thought, in some, in some critical moments. I was really impressed. I mean, people don't realize how tough it is when you combine the sight lines and the pressure of the national championship and the size of that crowd. I mean, something those kids are not used to. I think to perform on that stage was the biggest thing that, that stood out to me. Yeah, I put down three little bets last night so i did take the under at 118 and first half of course looked good but didn't work out the over on jared culver made free throws was three and a half and he had three in the first half and went over in the second half and then all and then also the virginia laying a point and a half so two for three not bad that's Hall hall of fame numbers your wife's gonna be very happy Mm, no she doesn't know <laughs> she does now. Nah, she does. No, nah, she definitely doesn't. <laughs> no, 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 no. She def. She definitely doesn't. Uh, did did anything? And we talked about this last week about guys' stock rising. Did you see anything from an, from the national championship game that made you look at anybody differently or even more favorably now? Uh, it's a good question. I think. Well, again, I think Culver is ultimately going to be a top five pick. Like when this kid starts to develop more in terms of having some different moves, he's so quick to the basket and long. I think his tournament elevated his stock. He was already considered a lottery pick. I think he's going to have the potential to be top five, uh, even though we, we saw some stretches where he wasn't scoring well. But I think that's the kind of thing in the pre-draft workouts he's going to get a chance really to hone his shot, shoot off the dribble, uh, shoot off the catch. There's going to be basically a lot of his shooting and, and some of his moves with his handle are going to be impressive. And then uh, I would say Ty Jerome, uh, again, like I think his decision-making, I think the, his ability to hit big shots. Um, and, uh, you know, there were times Culver was guarding him and that sort of stood out. And, and Hunter is the other guy that I think is, um, you know, DeAndre Hunter, everyone knew he could defend. I think a lot of people felt he's mid-first rounder. His ability to score in the second half less. Last week was really impressive. Uh, last night was really impressive. So I, I think all those guys. And, and finally, Kyle Guy. I, I think he's going to get a shot. I don't know if he's going to be drafted, but I think he's going to get a shot to play in the league. Just his ability to shoot it and sort of also the moment never gets too big for him. He's only about 6'2", but the fact that he shows he can shoot oversized and actually can handle it some, I think Kyle Guy is going to get a shot in the NBA. Did you buy him anything off his registry? No, no, I don't want to uh, violate any NCAA rules. Yeah, so I know that was a big, big. And big and really, story. like he doesn't want a gravy boat, you know. Like nobody really wants what's on. <laughs> but their that's registry. my go-to gift, Noah. No, it's not. No, it's not. It, no, no. And if, I and meant and if, for and if, all. And if, 
I know. And if it actually is, we're not. I'm not doing this podcast with you anymore. No, <laughs> it's not. It's not. But I should just start buying gravy boats in general for college basketball players <laughs> and see what the NCAA has to say. About <laughs> All right, so let's move on. Um, I was looking at numbers for the NBA playoffs and thinking about you know how to relate it to the NCAA tournament and because that's what we do in this business is transitions and early round upsets. And again, it's it's fun to have the early round upsets, but then to have some of the best teams playing late because you get the best games. So thinking about first round upsets in the NBA playoffs, so I went back and looked. In the Western Conference, Adam, the five has beaten the four every year since 2012. So 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, and 12, the five has beaten the four in the Western Conference. In, in 2011, it actually happened in the Eastern Conference. And then in the West, it happened also again in 10 and 09. The last time we had chalk in the first round of the NBA playoffs was 2008. So the numbers would tell you and the trends would tell you that something is going to happen in the first round upset. And likely it's going to be a 5-4. Whether you call it an upset or not, it's still the five. it's still the five beating the four. And the four has home court advantage. So as we record this on... Tuesday, still a lot of things could happen. But if the, I'm going to take a look at a few different scenarios when thinking about who could be the five over the four or maybe even the seven over two. So let's actually start seven over two and let me know what you think of this. If it's Spurs Nuggets, it's the, it would be seven two. They split during the regular season. The Spurs discipline versus the Nuggets youth, although they're crazy talented. And Pop has never lost in back-to-back first rounds of the playoffs. And I know his teams change, but he has never lost in back-to-back first rounds. Would you put that series as a toss-up or a major favorite towards the Nuggets? I, I think you have to say toss-up. Because, Noah, you've been the one that's harps, harping on this all year, mostly about the NBA Finals, but, the, but just in general about how different the playoffs are. Right. Playoff basketball is different. Unless you've been there, it's an entirely different experience. And when you consider, you talked about it, the talented crew for the Nuggets, their top three leading scorers, Noah, they've played in zero playoff games. Jokic, it matters. Jamal Murray, Gary Harris. This will be their first playoff series. And not to say that they couldn't win or not to say that this team isn't loaded and I wouldn't be shocked if, if they don't have a deep run. But I would say if you're going to play anyone in the first round and you have no playoff experience to play a Popovich-led Spurs team that has DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, that that scares me if I'm a Nuggets fan. So, yes, I, I think that – I think it's a toss-up. Um, and, you know, you talk about the season series being split 2-2. I think the other factor, too, I could play an X factor in this game. Lonnie Walker, we talk about college kids. He's only played 16 games this year. Um, or something like that. I, I want to say it's 16. But he did have 16, at least I know for sure. He's played limited amount this year, but he had 16 points in that game in which the Nuggets smacked around the Spurs last week. I think Lonnie Walker could be an X factor in in, mm. uh, in this series somehow. Just some some youthful exuberance for the Spurs, some talent, and certainly some athleticism. Uh, you combine that with Derek White, it'll be interesting. Young backcourt for the Spurs, but I think they got some pieces that could challenge this this Nuggets team. How about you? All right. So there's also, I mean, I, and I think I would actually, I think you get some good value on the Spurs in that series if you were to bet it. 
Um, and another one in the in the five four possibilities would be taking Utah. So if it's if it's Utah Portland, I do think that'll be one of those really popular five fours. And then what if it's Utah Houston? Houston could still end up in the four. So both those series split, and Utah Portland they played all of their games before February when you know everybody was was relatively healthy at the time. And then I went back and looked at some numbers. So in the last month, Utah is the best defense over the last month and uh, the number two offense over the last month. Utah and then Houston is the number two defense over the last month and the and the number one offense. So I, I would lean more towards if it's Utah over Portland, but I don't think Utah is backing down from Houston either. Yeah, I think you're right on, on all counts. Uh, I know that spoke to someone within the Jazz. They're they're excited about the, the playoffs and their potential. Um, and by the way, Noah, you talk about some of those numbers. Since they last played, Jazz are twenty and eight, Portland nineteen and nine as as we record this. Um, I think it's going to be awful interesting um, as this thing shakes out. And of course, you know, without use of Nurkic, which I think will also be an interesting factor for the for the Blazers. I'm curious, Noah, why do you think that there has been and I preface that that so many fives in the West over the fours in recent history. And I preface it by saying it's interesting using the whole seeding and what it means come NCAA tournament time theme, which you open this thing with. You know, people talk about 12s over fives. Oftentimes the reason is because a five seed is oftentimes uh, a mediocre team, or not mediocre, but just above average team from a power conference taking on a 12, which is an excellent mid-major. So oftentimes the 12 seed is actually a better team. They just might not have the resume because they don't have the impressive wins as far as college basketball is concerned. Why do you think it plays out this way in the NBA? I, I have no idea. I, I, think, <laughs> I, I think this is, and I'm, I'm, and I'm not afraid just to say I don't know or that it's just one of those odd things. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, I, di- I didn't go back and look at all the matchups. Maybe there was, maybe there were a few injuries, but maybe that would explain one or two of them. But every year over the past seven, there's, there's some things that are a coincidence and some things are a trend. And, and this is definitely a trend. Do you have anything more concrete or philosophical than that? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I think that, um, I think it's going to be interesting because I think, you know, I think a lot of people have been down on the the Blazers in general since getting, you know, swept last year as uh, it was 3-6, if I recall. Correct, Noah? Uh, mm-hmm. To the Pelicans. And I and I think, you know, I mean, Damian Lillard, who I know you've talked about as being an MVP candidate, I think this is significant for him. Not having Nurkic, I think this is a big series for, you know, we talk about guys' legacy, and I think that's too strong of a word. But just I think in his own personal pride reasons after what happened last season I don't know that I would doubt Damian Lillard after getting swept last season having Nurkic go down um, and now playing uh, you know as potential four seed I I, Damian Lillard is going to be dangerous and I don't care um, what the setup is in in this game that would be a guy that I would be very very scared of and and it'd be interesting on the flip side to see if the Jazz were to potentially play the Rockets you know with how well the Rockets have been playing as of late uh, which, I mean, I want to see a Thunder Rocket series in the first round. I think it would be incredible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, since they lost to Oklahoma City um, on February 9th, I mean, the Rockets 30-5. and five. We, we spent this year talking about – I mean, that's remarkable to me. We spent this year talking about how the Rockets look uh, when you consider 
you know, what James Harden was doing from that, that scoring streak. But really, once they got their guys healthy again and got into rhythm, this team doesn't look all that different from the team that we saw last year that made a great run through the regular season. They have that same kind of momentum and that same kind of swagger about them. So I think that the first round of the West is going to be just phenomenal. Yeah, and what, what is pretty wild over these last two days of regular season, as we record this on Tuesday, there are teams that, look, Denver on Sunday tanked down the stretch of that game. And like, hey, let's give this a shot and see if what happens with Houston, what happens with Oklahoma City. And these teams are, it seems like Denver is trying to avoid Houston in, that se- in the second round, maybe even then get Portland. And who knows what, I mean, there's so many different variations of what could actually happen here, but who knows what comes back to bite which team either. Totally agree. Hey, Pure Hoops fans, I'm Monica McNutt, and I'm pumped to announce my podcast rolling out April 11th, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. We're going to do it every Thursday. Hopefully, we'll have some conversations with your favorite hoopers. We'll get to their journey in the game, what makes it special, why they love the game, all of that good stuff. So please check it out. It's Buckets, Boards, and Blocks rolling out on April 11th every Thursday. Forty for Giannis. Ten in the quarter. Boy, that running start. Donovan has 41. 108, 105. 50 seconds to play. Connaughton trying to guard him. Pick and roll with favors. Giannis switches. Donovan rises, fires. Oh, Donovan! Oh, Donovan! Oh, Donovan! From three, deep, deep, deep. 111, 105, Utah, Donovan's got 44 in front of his childhood idol, Daryl Griffith. Oh my, Donovan! That's insane. We're joined now by David Locke in his 10th season as the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, also the founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. He hosts Locked On Jazz, and they've got Locked On Everything. So everything local for your teams across the major sports, that's where you want to go. Dave, give me the the most underappreciated food city in the league. Uh, I think Houston has actually become the number one food city in America, so that would probably be it. Oh, uh, how, why so? Um, I think they don't. It's got incredible population, and it's a confluence of a few events. It's got incredible population. It's got great wealth, so therefore there's an incentive for restauranteurs to build, you know, creative restaurants. You have probably one of the most diverse cities in America, other than maybe Los Angeles, which everyone thinks of as the best restaurant city. And then actually, I picked this up from David Chang in his great documentary, um, Ugly Delicious. Mm -hmm. But because it's somewhat of a new city, it's not beholden to tradition. You know, New York food just kind of is New York food. And if you think of they talked in Ugly Delicious about Louisiana, how they're all kind of caught into what they are. In Houston, you've got a great deal of immigrants that are there that are bringing their food in from other countries. And you don't have a great food history similar to Los Angeles. And so therefore I think you have really great creativity taking place along with, I mean, probably the best sushi restaurant I go to might even be there. 
Um, and then there's just some really creative chefs. There's a chef of a restaurant called One Fifth, I think is what it's called, where they basically change the menu every eight, nine months. Um, there's just great stuff. Houston um, is not maybe my most favorite city because I like outdoors and recreation, but from a food standpoint, it's about as good as it gets. When did this, the food appreciation start? Um, well, I've probably always liked food, but I had a unique experience two summers ago where some friends of ours took us to a, one of the elite restaurants in America, multiple tasting menu, kind of, you know, more money than you'd ever think you'd spend for a meal. At least I never, and I never thought I'd ever have an experience like that in my lifetime. And it was really kind of game changing. It, you know, it made me realize that to some extent that's just the same thing as going to a Broadway play or some other incredible thing that you might do, you know, once a year or so, or maybe once every other year. And um, it was up at Willows and on Lumi Island and up in Seattle. And it's the chefs from Noma and Copenhagen. And I just tasted things I'd never tasted before and had an experience I'd never had before. And since hmm. then, I've spent an awful lot of money and other people's money <laughs> at the restaurant. I, I, the what? Who's your group on the road when you go out to dinner? I'll keep that between me and okay. uh, I'll keep that one private. Got it. Got it. All right. Um, Ten years ago, when you took over for Hot Rod Hunley, what was the advice that you got? Not from not from him, but from anyone else about what it was like to take over for a legend, given that you were just the the second ever radio voice of the jazz. Maybe the best advice I got from was from Hot Rod, actually, who said, just be you. Don't try to be someone else. Be you. Um, if a young broadcaster is listening to this, um, the greatest advice I would give them is stop calling plays for your resume tape. I mean, even today with Donovan and the revival of Donovan and what Donovan's done, I have to be careful to not make a call for highlight. Like Donovan's so incredible. That every now and then you trot, you lose, you fake it, and people know the minute you're faking it. Um, I had one recently where I missed a great play, and then he did it again, and I could feel myself being like, "Oh, I missed that last one. I really got to give a highlight call on this one." And the call sucked. It was like hmm. by far the worst call I've had all year. Um, and I hope you didn't play this some intro to me earlier today. <laughs> um, I mean, it's like seriously, if I could go into the records and get rid of it. So I think that from Hot Rod, just be you, which is I really followed. And then just in general, I think authenticity carries the day. I, I, you know, there was an era where you had to have a certain voice. I certainly don't have that. Um, there was an era where you had to call it in a certain way. I certainly don't believe in that. Um, I have a, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area listening to Greg Papa. And I always felt whenever I finished a game with Papa that I not only knew what had happened, but I knew how it happened and I knew more about the game and the league at the end of the night. And so we hope to do that every night on the broadcast, but I think you have to do it with a level of authenticity or else people know it's, you're full of it. What was it easy to be you? Um, I'm a little bit of a nut. So if I'm me, there aren't a lot of others like it. So thank goodness for the rest of the world. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm um, saying, was it, was it easy to be yourself right away? Oh, I mean, there was nothing easy. I don't know. I mean, people have real lives that are really hard, so I'm not going to... Following Hot Rod was not, like, the easiest thing I've ever done in my life, and having come off being fired uh, right beforehand probably added to that a little bit. Um, I mean, no, no different than any other job in the world or 
I certainly don't want to equate myself to an NBA player, but you know, you're better in your third year than in your fifth year and your seventh year. And then you probably, my eyesight's not as good as it once was. And some of those kind of things are falling, right? Cause I'm getting old and, but yet I probably understand the intricacies and pacing of broadcasting better. So probably no different than anyone else in their career. You just evolve. I'm sure I listened back to my first year's tapes. I would hear that I was had great angst and sucked. Um, and hopefully I don't suck as much now. <laughs> uh, speaking of eyesight, where's your, where's your seat at jazz games? Uh, we're on the last row of the lower bowl. We have a nice broadcast area and that, that bowl comes up pretty ver- with a pretty good pitch. It's made for basketball, not for hockey. Uh, so you can see the game pretty well. My eyesight would have to be trying to read game notes, not watching the game at this point. <laughs> have What's been the conversation around the league from broadcasters and, and other media types about moving broadcasters and the media away from the floor? Well, I think that we probably are, we complained too much about it, uh, which was inevitable. And we didn't do a good enough job of asking for standards of our broadcast sites. Um, I don't have, frankly, people pay a lot of money to sit in pretty comparable seats to the one we have, and they can see the game pretty well and feel the game. And I think that we should probably be quiet about that. There's a few sites where I can't see the whole floor, and that's really frustrating. Um, Mm. You know, the fact that Boston and San Antonio don't have, at least in my, you know, it feels to me, I'm sure they do, but it feels to me as a broadcaster when you're calling the game, it's just that they have a disregard for your profession when you can't see the whole floor like that's hard like that yeah that's hard to swallow that someone puts you in a broadcast site where literally if the ball goes to the far corner i can't see who it is and what's happening because i have an obstructive view and it feels very insulting so that's probably something i need to get over but i wish that there was a just in these few sites that aren't great i wish there was a standard by which, you know, you're between the baselines, you have clear path view to the entire 94 feet. Not not too complicated, but, you know, that happens. It's a little inside baseball, but when that happens, you just turn and look at the monitor? You know, honestly, it's so fast that I often just say, like, after the left wing to someone I can't see. Huh. Hey, and then I'll tell you who it is. Then I tell you, then I tell you when they, when I, you know, the shot goes up, it's no good. Rebound comes down to Gobert. That missed shot was by Jason Tatum, right? Like, or, you know, it's and to some extent, my job is to tell you what I'm seeing. And in that circumstance, I can't see it. Mm-hmm. Joe Tate, the great broadcaster of the Cleveland Cavaliers had one of the great names calls of all time, which I mentioned usually early in my broadcast in Boston, which is he had a swung to the left corner to a player to be named later. Um, which I thought was really one of the great lines of all time. Um, You know what's interesting, and this is probably particularly difficult for me because I have some dyslexia, is that in Boston, we're we're not between the baselines and we're not on the end line either. We're just on an angle. So nobody cares about this, but you know you've called games. So this is now between you and I, and I apologize to everybody else. Um, this is kind of when, like, Uncle Joey at the barbecue starts talking about something you don't care about. Um, left and right, which is a very natural concept for a broadcaster when you're at the 50-yard line, gets very complicated because left is always left and right is always right from mm-hmm. our broadcast angle. 
which is the opposite of what the fans' natural instinct is when listening to the game. And so you have to try to figure out what you're doing. And the minute I tried to figure out left and right too much with my messed up brain, it gets to be a real disaster. So um, I just kind of keep it as left and right all night. And then it's not quite what probably what someone's envisioning, but it's close enough. And, and pardon me if you're getting too personal and, and you don't need to talk about it if you don't want, but you mentioned dyslexia. You were diagnosed with dyslexia? Um, I have, yeah. So when I was, wasn't the greatest student in the world, um, and I have maybe a little differently than some other people, um, mine's predominantly auditorily, um, but it's, you know, it's a gift now, I think. It's hard in school. Schooling sucks. Um, our educational system was built in, like, 1845, and we haven't changed a single iota of it. That's not entirely true, but it's stunningly closer than it should be. It'd be like us driving Model T for, you know, cars still today, and mm -hmm. we're driving Teslas. So we might want to um, think about trying to maybe open up some of them. And people are trying to do this. That's not totally fair. But we don't have the school system incentivized very well for people to try to build and adapt to the evolving student as well as we probably should. So you're in that box of how you have to learn sitting in a chair and doing all those various things and listening to every class as they talk to you. And so I struggled with that. But I would, at this point in time, I think it's a great gift. It's what I tell every kid that's got something like this is just fight through it. Every day is a day closer to freedom. And really, truly it is. Like as grade school is really structured and then high school is a little less structured and then college you really can start to pick around and do it yourself. And then when you're out of college and college, you get to pick your classes. And then when you're out, you then just use it. And now, you know, other than the fact that my brain never turns off, which would be its own unique characteristic, be nice if it occasionally decided to take a break, um, is that it, you know, I think it's a great gift. I, I think, I don't know, because you don't know what somebody else's is, but I feel like all the things that were inhibitants to me in the early stage of my life are actually probably benefiting me at this point in time. How did you get through it as a kid? Not very well. Um, you probably, thank God, there wasn't social networking and all the other pressures that these kids have today. Um, I wasn't a great student. Um, you know, uh, I struggled. I failed all my foreign language classes, and nobody ever thought it was just because I was being, you know, lazy. Huh. Um, but I couldn't hear. I couldn't hear it. So I, you know, I took Spanish one and failed it, and then took Spanish one again and got a C minus, which should have tipped somebody off. Um, but they really just thought it was. You know, um, and then if I ever had a teacher with an accent, I was dead. Um, hmm. So I wasn't great. Um, and, and then I would also say that to the point of social networking, I, you know, in retrospect, I thought I was far worse than I probably was, which is probably what a lot of our teenage kids are going through today. But then they get reminded how crappy they are every 30 seconds because everyone else is faking how great they are. Um, because when I've gone back to the school and talked to the school, you know, and had those great honors where you get to go back and talk to kids. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've talked to some of those teachers and I would like joke while I was in, like when I'm talking to the kids, I would always joke like, okay, I was like, I was in a class of 65 and I know that cause I was 65th on class rank. And then the other, the teachers would all come up to me like, that's not true at all. And in retrospect, like, you know, I actually did pretty well in some AP tests and things like that. So I got through it somehow. Probably really, really good teachers were able to see through it and help me out. Mm -hmm. um, and less good teachers, I always think that's the definition of teachers. There's not very good teachers. There's teachers that teach the class the same for every single kid, and they're okay. And then the brilliant teachers are the ones who are able to somehow 
have a class of 20 to 35 kids and customize the classroom for each kid. That's the, those are the true heroes of our world or those teachers that can do that. And I probably have a few of those. How does your experience as a student shape the way you handle your own kids as, uh, during their educational experience? Uh, well, I mean, to the article that Kyle Corver wrote this week, I was that kid. I, I mean, I've, from one of the most privileged backgrounds you could have. My parents were both elite educated, educated in the elite. Um, and so I grew up in that home and they, you know, and I had every educational advantage. I mean, the fact is like people always ask me, like, Oh my gosh, you knew what you wanted to do when you were nine. And like you, you made it. And oh my gosh, it's so incredible. And I'm like, no, actually what's been really incredible is if I'd screwed this up. Cause like hmm. I started at the five yard line and all I had to do was go five yards. So it's not, not particularly impressive. Um, I had every advantage in the world. Um, I was raised in a family that loved me. You know, we had our hiccups, but um, I, I, I'm not, uh, I, I had every advantage in the world and the world's built for me and I've taken advantage of that. It's too bad how unfair it is for a huge percentage of our population. Yeah, but you, I mean, you still have to do something with that advantage, but you mentioned the Kyle Corver article, so let's get into that. What's been the conversation like around the team and even maybe even with with you and friends after reading what Kyle wrote well I thought it was really well written which I thought was you know to Kyle's maturity and intelligence I thought there was a great value to that that that's a really really long and hard piece to write and if you blink somewhere in there people are going to jump all over it and I thought he really didn't um that's what to me I mean the the thought process and everything else is, you know, he really put himself out there. It's pretty awesome. But I also just, that's a hard topic to write about and to write it well and to write it in a manner that fosters discussion and doesn't allow for in this day and age, a portion of the population to glom onto your one misspeak, right? Like if you make one mistake in there, people are going to just get it. Um, and he didn't do that, which I thought was really awesome. I, 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 I thought it was great. I thought responsibility versus blame was super. Um, I, I thought his point in the, if you listen that as a white male, you can step in and out of the issue as you please. And that's the luxury that you have and the privilege that you have. Um, I think the essence of the whole article in the sense that, you know, like I, that article could be written by we one of our assistant coaches, Antonio Lang, one of the most interesting people out there. Like if somebody's alert, they should hire him as head coach. So Antonio Lang's dad marched in Selma. Antonio grew up in the South. He was valedictorian of high school. He went to Duke. He then tore his Achilles tendon as a pro player and went to Japan to make money as a player, learned Japanese, became a coach and general manager in Japan for a long time, and is now back in the U.S. Okay, so this guy's got worldly experience. He's lived every aspect of it. And unfortunately, if he wrote it as an African-American male, it would come off as, it would be characterized as bitter, complaining, and that's the essence of the white privilege that Kyle talks about, is that Kyle could write it, and we'd read it and talk about it. <laughs> and I think that's what's to me, kind of jumped out the most of anything, is how totally awesome Kyle, and honest Kyle was about it. 
and his thoughts and how where he was flawed, and then uh, simultaneously how it's perceived and how it's been treated is the grandest example of what he's talking about. Have you had these types of experiences with, you know, African-American, whether it's friends or other members of the team that you've been out with and you've been put in a situation like this? Oh, I mean, I think there's always the subtlety that as a white male, you don't notice until someone tells you about. But when I go out for dinner, this is like this actually, I didn't know this has been done as a study, but once I was told about it. So if I go out for dinner with one of our guy or coaches or usually not our players, um, they always ask me what I want first. Huh. Hmm. Um, it's always the power. The power is always laden in that. Um, there's a lot of those subtle things that take place. And so, and right, right. So that's not something that I would think twice about, but is that something then that, Right, the member of your party says, "Yeah, they see it. See they what, see what happened." Right, when it's the thirty-seventh straight time you've gone out for dinner with someone who's white, and they ask the white guy first, then it yeah. starts. Yeah, starts to bother. Right. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's stories, and yeah, there's. I mean, it, it's subtle, right? One of the greatest examples I have. I went to college at Occidental College in L.A. and. Our president at the time was this guy, John Slaughter, who was an African-American, one of the first African-American presidents. He decided he wanted to try to turn the campus into a multicultural melting pot equal to that of the city of Los Angeles. And it was, I was there when he was trying to do it. and It was really uncomfortable. And it was the first time I ever, you know, we all, all of us white guys started complaining. This was the first time anybody ever treated us like a minority. Um, and we weren't really being treated as a minority. We just weren't being given every privilege we ever had. And so we started to complain and it was really interesting because it did foster conversations. And while, you know, I think it was hard for a lot of people. One of my favorites is there was this wonderful woman, Jackie, who was a track athlete and she was a great track athlete. Um, but we were at a division three school at Occidental and, and I was talking with her one day, I think we went out for dinner and, and I said, you know, just after like, you know, I don't know, we were in some conversations because, you know, I changed one thing in my life. And I said, what's that? She goes, I wish I was slow. Great track athlete. And I said, why? She goes, everywhere I go, people ask me what sport I play. Well, well. And she goes, I go to Occidental because I had best grades in my school. You know, it's a decent school. Um, for those who don't know, it's a West Coast, small liberal arts college. It's not quite an Ivy League East Coast school, but it's pretty good. Um, and... She was like, no one ever asked me what my SAT score was or what my grades were to get into college. They just assume I got in because I'm an athlete. They never think I'm smart. That's another example, right? Like, that would right. never happen to me. No one right. ever it's asked not, me. And it's not subtle. Like, that's, that's overt. I mean, it might be subtle to right. us, but it's overt to someone who's black. Right. And I think there's, you know, there's stories of, of NBA families being asked how they got their tickets. I do get your ticket down here. Who do you know? Well, I could have just bought it, right? I could have just yeah, had enough course. money to buy a nice ticket. Do you, can you sense how Kyle's Players Tribune piece has been received by the Utah fans who have obviously taken heat over the past 
well, certainly this season uh, because of an incident and, and even last year and, and in years past? Uh, I, I think generally well, and there was, you know, there was a touchy subject, right? Like telling the white population that you have to take responsibility for your four father's actions is not something that necessarily sits well with everyone. Um, that's not a, that's not a universally accepted point of view. If you've read Hillbilly Elegy, which is an incredible book that everyone should read, there's an entire portion of our white population right now that feels as though society has forgotten about them and that, you know, all we're worrying about is affirmative action and this and that and for, you know, and we're completely forgotten about an entire portion of our population that exists in, in America. So I think there's, you know, that, that con the concept of what his core, what I thought the key, one of his key pieces of responsibility versus blame, I'm not sure is universally accepted. So there certainly has been some discussion of that. I, I will say this. Um, I do not believe that the, the, uh, small, piece of the pie that is people that comment on things just on Twitter is something that I will ever reference as a re as a, as a like you know, as a point, um, mm -hmm. I don't do it. I don't do it with the team. I won't do it with society. I think it's a tremendous mistake that we've made of how much this now dictates our points of view on things. And what we think people are thinking are the very, very small amount of people that are willing to, try to poorly express themselves in 240 characters or now 400 and whatever. And we call that what people are saying. No, no, that's what an individual who yep. comment on Twitter said. Most of my friends don't comment on Twitter and don't interact on Twitter. And most people don't. So I will never use Twitter as a reference point by which I think is a, what people are saying. Um, I'll use that in my general conversation. And I've had a lot of friends, at least my friends in my social circle, text me and tell me to thank Kyle. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. How much does race and the demographics of Salt Lake City play a part in free agency for the Jazz? I think, um, I think that's overblown um, because I don't, think there is actually any track record in the NBA for these free agent destinations that everyone talks about. So the free agent destinations that everyone talks about for all these years were LA, New York, Miami. Generally, um, the Lakers got LeBron recently, but got nobody for a decade before that. The Knicks have never gotten a free agent. Um, Miami got the big guys. Boston now has actually signed the most free agents, but for years that was the most, you know, that was the place where the African-Americans wouldn't go play for decades. Um, so I, and I think that when you really run around the league and you start looking at, you know, 24 of the 30 franchises probably are non-desirable cities in the realm of free agency, right? Cleveland, Detroit, Milwaukee, Utah, Oklahoma city, San Antonio, um, maybe Houston is, is built up to that, but, and Dallas does not have a great track record with it. So I think there's, I think the whole concept of free agent cities is actually inaccurate and there's no history to back it up. Um, it's who has the money, who's has the right timing, 
Oakland was never a spot where free agents went until they had Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, and then Kevin Durant wanted to go there. Oklahoma City was never a place, but Paul George got the money and the timing was right for him. So I don't, I don't buy the concept. The Jazz signed Mehmet Okor and Carlos Boozer when they had more money than anyone else to offer those two players, and they came. And the Jazz have actually only had one player in their franchise history ever leave that they wanted to keep, and that was Gordon Hayward. So I'm not sure. I just, I just fundamentally not sure I buy. Like, just if you run down the list, there just aren't very many. Like, Denver would never be a free agent city either. It's like there just aren't any. Mm-hmm. Portland's not a free agent city. Like, I just think it's a myth. I actually it's good, agree. It's a good I, talking point, but it doesn't had, make any I, sense. You're right. I've had I've had the same conversation. We're on the same page. Just a few more moments with Jazz Radio Voice David Locke. Who should the Jazz talking about the playoffs? Who should the Jazz want to face in the first round? Well, I think this is a ridiculous conversation because my answer is going to be Portland, who has only exceeded. I'm honking at the idiot that's sitting at a green light in front of me. <laughs> um, he had a, had a green arrow and just sat there for a while um, after taking an illegal step in. That was nice of him. Um, anyway, and I've only got about two minutes left because Clint yep. Snyder doesn't hold shoot around for me. Um, but the uh, the Portland's the answer, but that's ridiculous because without C.J. McCollum and without Yusuf Nurkic, they have put themselves in a position where if a few things go right for them, they could be the three seed in the playoffs and – what Terry Stotts has done there is coach of the year worthy and Dame Lillard is first team all NBA. And, um, you know, I, I always hear this question, but like, well, who, you know, who do we want? Like Denver's doing these weird things right now. Mm-hmm. You want to know who I want? I'd like to play the Knicks. <laughs> um, the if I could get the Knicks in the first round, um, I don't want Atlanta. Trey Young's pretty damn good. Yeah, for sure. And he gets inside our defense a little bit. So, um, if I get Phoenix in the second round, yeah. Yeah, Devin Booker scores a lot, but they're lacking some experience. And then in the Western Conference Finals, if I, you know, maybe we could, maybe we could move Cleveland over the Western Conference Finals so we could play them. I mean, come on, we're in the playoffs. Like you're not playing. Everyone you're playing is awesome, and if you're in the Western Conference, everyone you're playing is really awesome because the Western Conference has 14 teams that are better than the eight playoff teams in the East. All right, so check out all the shows on the Locked On Podcast Network. You will not be disappointed. National shows and local shows. Also, you can check out all of David's uh, calls for the Utah Jazz. He's the radio voice. You can hear all those locally and then also nationally on Sirius XM radio. And he is as authentic as it gets. He will leave you with more knowledge, not just about the game that you listen to, but also the league with every broadcast. David, I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks, buddy. Congratulations on all your success. Talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, so thanks again to David Locke and had to drop Adam out during David Locke since he's in Mexico and we weren't sure if the connection was going to hold up, so I got to spend some close personal time with David, but Adam is back as we go off the rails. And I got to tell you this, this story from Sunday. So my daughter Eden is four and a half. As polite and terrific as a kid as I could ever imagine. We go up on our roof of our building and she's got a play date. Her friend is with her from, from class. And they're just drawing with chalk on the roof. It's a beautiful day. And the area of the roof where she is in, to the right are windows where there's a, a little gym on the roof of our building. 
And the shades are down, so you don't really look out the roof, and the sun doesn't bother. You can look out. It's a beautiful view of the river. Sure. This this woman comes out of the gym. She comes out in gym clothes. She is, looks like late 40s, to early 50s, Middle Eastern woman. And she walks around the corner, and she's got this scowl on her face. And uh, Marissa and I are sitting at one table, and, and Eden's, I don't know, maybe like 15 steps away, right around the corner. And there's a gentleman sitting on a bench and another couple sitting at another table. And this woman walks right up to Eden, bypasses any adults, walks right up to Eden and says, who told you that you could vandalize the roof? What is this graffiti? <gasps> I said, huh. Graffiti. Yeah, graffiti. It's just chalk. It's chalk on the roof. <laughs> so, uh, so, so I stand up and I, I, I don't. I don't. I just stand up so Eden can see me that that I've reacted here, but I wanted to see how she would handle it. And this woman is yelling at two four and a half year old girls. What is this graffiti? I don't want to look at this. Who told you you could vandalize the roof? And Eden oh. just and and I don't. I mean, Eden doesn't know what the word vandalism is. And Eden just looks at her and just says, "We're just drawing with chalk." And. <laughs> Puppy so dog eyes, too, I'm sure. Yeah, so, that, so then I step in and say, uh, excuse me, ma'am, if, if you've got a problem, I, I'd appreciate it if you talk to us, not not my daughter. And she turns around and, and leaves. Next thing you know, one of the maintenance men comes up with as we're leaving with his hose, and he's rolling his eyes, and so he's got a you know, hose off the roof, which I'm sure they do every single day anyway since they're watering plants. So we come back downstairs. I go back, I go, I go back upstairs. And I, I have a very calm demeanor. So I go back upstairs. She's still on the treadmill. No one else in the gym. So I walk up, stand next to her, and she's now, she's shook that she sees me. And I'm not an intimidating presence. I might be 6'8", but I'm, I, I, don't, uh, I don't intimidate anybody. And so, so I say to her, uh, excuse me, ma'am, again, if there's a problem with my child or any child, any child, I would highly suggest you speaking to the adult and not directly to four-year-olds. And she said, I didn't see any adults. They looked like unwanted children. I said, I said, ma'am. What? What does said, that ma'am. mean? <laughs> I said, ma'am, we were 10 steps away sitting at the table. You didn't even make an effort to find out who the parents were or anything like that. And she said, and I don't want to see this vandalism and graffiti. And I said, I said, ma'am, if you, if you just look straight ahead, you have a beautiful view of the river. Just look straight ahead. They weren't even making noise. They're just drawing in chalk. And when you walk through a playground here in the city and you see kids playing with chalk, do you call the police and say that there is vandalism and graffiti taking place at this playground? And she just doesn't know what to say, of course. And, and I said, um, and she said, you should get them a chalkboard. I said, I said the girls were just drawing with chalk. And again, if, you, if there is a rule against this, I'm happy to comply. If you own this building, I'm happy to follow your rules, but I don't think either one really do apply. And she, and then she said, I don't want to see it. I said, well then, ma'am, don't, don't look, don't look. And if there is a problem ever again, please speak with me directly. And think about this, ma'am. And I, I didn't know her name, I just kept calling her ma'am. Of all the problems in the world, all the things you could be angry about, you're choosing to spend your time yelling at four-year-old girls and drawing with chalk. Just, just think about that. <laughs> so, then, so then I walk out, and I'm, I'm met amazed. by, I'm I'm amazed, met by, I'm met by the, the head of the building. 
And I know we got to wrap this up, but I'm met by the head of the building who says, uh, who I'm close with, and he said, look, of course there's no rule. Eden's terrific. Let me tell you a story about that woman that at a barbecue a few years ago, she tried to steal a bottle of wine from the barbecue, from a, from a barbecue, but also this one. She took a bite of a cookie, and everything's like homemade when you have potluck barbecues on the roof. She took a sure. bite of a cookie, didn't like how it tasted, and then flipped over the entire cookie display. Wait, the entire display? <laughs> yeah. So this woman, this woman is a, she's a lunatic. She's got some, she's got some real problems. So, I know we got to wrap it up, but that's, uh, that's off the rails for this week. Wow. I, I, uh, I'm going to be safe. I'm going to put all my chalk away. I'm not going to vandalize any streets no, in Mexico. No, no, no I, I don't want to get arrested out here. No, vandal- no vandalism. All right, Adam, uh, thanks for hanging with us from Mexico, and I'm sure... On vacation, you'll be eagerly awaiting the Monica McNutt podcast. That is Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. That starts on April 11th. Mike Wise Show on Monday. You got to, since you're sitting at the pool and while you're eating, you can listen to that instead of taking part in conversations with your family. And then on Friday, Eric Newman and BJ Armstrong. And I don't know everybody's name associated with this podcast, so you can do the thank yous. Yeah, yeah, Noah, you should learn these guys. They've helped us a lot. I mean, Bruce Bernstein. uh, I I know Bruce's name. Yep. Okay. Yeah, well, he, heard he, him, he, yeah. he helps us produce this every week. Yeah. Um, how about Scott Turkin? He's helped in the production. Oh, wait, look at that. Look at that. Nini, Just as Adam starts um, to thank everybody, the, con- the connection cuts out. Look at that. Look at that. Oh. The, oh. the connection look started at- cutting out. Oh, now you're back. That's look weird. At how That's this weird works. that that happens. Go- Go figure. Go figure. Noah, most importantly, though, I just want to thank you. Thanks for, for putting up with me from Mexico. I'm going to go have another drink in about 16 umbrellas. So Enjoy that because uh, there's no way I'm doing this on vacation. You're a better man than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you. Take it easy, brother. You too, pal. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. 